What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we're back talking all about Mike Flanagan. And I couldn't be doing it without my good friend, Rhea Carrigan. Rhea, how are you doing? I am good, thank you. Thanks for having me back for my idea of talking about Mike Flanagan. I didn't give you much choice. I'm like, no, thanks for having fair. me back. Yeah. I've already said that we're doing films and the TV shows. Yeah, so. yeah. but it's been good. We've done two, you know, I've, I've uh, this is, uh, you know, now that's what I call Mike Flanagan. The last episode was volume one. This is volume two. So um, as you say, in the last episode, we talked about the films. Uh, we went back to Oculus all the way through to um, Daryl's Game, and um and dr sleep and all the others and, and go back and listen to the episode i'm not going to cover anything else but go back <laughs> and listen. so today we're going to be talking about what's town to me i was going to say television but it's not his netflix uh output so we're going to be talking about the haunting of hill house um uh, bly manor and midnight mass and then we are going to touch on and have a little bit of a conversation about the fall of the house of usher uh, and a little, bit, a little bit of speculation is that is now well into production. So let's start with this because my I went back and had a think about this. It was 2017, um, The Haunting of Hill House, I believe. And it was one of those things that I'd had, you know, because you get the email from Netflix, like here's all <laughs> the up and coming stuff. And it was a bit of a, there'd been a little bit of buzz around it, but like not masses beforehand it was like i think netflix knew they had something but there was like not this there wasn't a massive amount of buzz it was just sort of like it was on my recommended list so i mm-hmm. it to myself, oh, I'll watch this the moment that show became available like it was everywhere like i remember sort of articles about it and everything but what what were your memories about that when it first came out so i had my daughter in september 2018 mm. Uh, end of September 2018 and Haunted of Hill House came out on the 12th of October 2018 so she oh, was two weeks old Wow! Um, and she my other half he would do the night so I'd do during the day and he'd do the night so we'd switch between and I'd get up at 4am with her every single morning I say get up that's when she would wake up. I didn't have a choice. Like I was waking her up being like, oh, yeah. yay, fill my life with joy. Um, and I would sit down and I would feed her and then I'd put her down in her Moses basket. And then I would have two hours to sit and watch something in the pitch black, in silence. Well, the TV is quite as possible. I actually put my headphones in so it's not to disturb her. And I had just had a baby. So I didn't, I didn't know what the hell was going on on Netflix or anywhere else. But up pops Haunting of Hill House. Oh, that's my one of my favourite books that I used to read all the time. It's by Mike Franick and I love his films. Mm. Oculus is like, you know, stayed with me until this day. Um, I'm just going to pop that on at 4 to 5am every single yeah. morning <laughs> for all 
all the episodes. And I will say, I would not suggest watching The Haunting of Hill no. House, sleep deprived in a, in a silent flat with headphones on with a newborn that makes scary noises yeah. by yourself in the dark. Yeah. However, I would also suggest you absolutely watch it that way because you will shit your pants and it will be one of the best viewing experiences you have ever had in your entire life. Now, I also watch things with subtitles mm. because I find it much easier. I have issues. I don't actually have hearing issues, but I'm not very good if there's lots of sort of noise, ambient noise, outside yeah. noise. Yeah, I, I find it really hard to listen to things. So I often watch things with headphones in and subtitles on. So also watching this with subtitles was like a whole, bought something whole, wholly different to the experience. So I only had one friend who watched it and I'd be like, oh, when they said this, like it, it, it referred to this thing and that thing. And they like completely missed that as well. So I was just like, so I think I was just getting more freaked out and more scared by things. Um, due to the whole situation and then also being able to read everything that was going on. All the, all the <laughs> like whispers reason. in the background. Yeah. Spot. <laughs> well, this is one of the things. It's one of those shows that, like, it's, it's, it sounds a cliche to even say it, but it benefits from repeat viewing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, um, when, and I agree on, on what you were saying before, because I, I watched this and I sort of binged it in, like, three sittings. Mm. Um when because i'm a contrarian i'm an absolute sod for it when everyone's buzzing about something i'm like i'm not watching that screw you i'm watching this other weird thing or something from like 50 years ago like that's that's unfortunately just the way i work and then everyone starts talking about it and i'm like ah shit i'm not watching it i better catch up (laughs) um so i jumped on it and I, i watched the first sort of like three episodes and one of the things i sort of i remember um it's again sort of i watched it i think alex was working so you know ellie was in bed again so i was in the living room on my own lights down low and i remember sort of thinking like, oh, i'll let this sort of wash over me i'm gonna enjoy it and then going from sort of like a relatively sort of like laying position to a bolt upright position of being like exactly the same as me yeah oh no th- this requires my attention and benefits from my attention um and you know and you said like you know re- repeat viewing we I watched it again relatively recently sort of last year um and there's so much like in the background and stuff and you're like oh there's that and, and you know we'll go we'll get onto blind manner and how that does it more so um but th- when when they're in the house like you know oh, the, 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 we have the flashbacks we should you know i'm assuming the thing is we've made an assumption there, everyone sort of knows what oh, it yeah, is true, to talk yeah. about. so the, the the way it's 10 episodes long and it has i've never known a sh- mm, it's almost perfectly paced uh, I'm so obsessed with the show that I, yeah. I can't find anything negative to say. I mean, I probably can, but I think if I just you, don't want if to. If you really want to get so into it, the pacing yeah. is for a 10 part, almost a mini series, the pacing mm. is absolutely perfect. It's unbelievable. One of the things he's really good at across these TV, these episodes, is when to have an episode mm. filled with things and when to draw back and have something linger and stuff. Like, he seems to get a really good balance of that. But the show is that um, in the 90s, um, the um, Hill family uh, are um, led by this, the, this couple. They're basically, basically buy houses. Oh, so they're the Crane family. Oh, the Crane, sorry. The sorry, crane yeah, the Crane family. family. Yeah. It's just the Hill house. They, they basically flip houses. They do them up, they remodel them, 
and then they flip on for a profit. And so they've done that quite a few times. So the kids are used to this kind of thing. There's a bunch of five kids. Um, but whilst they're there, they start to experience things. The mum starts to suffer from headaches and she sort of has a few instances of lashing out. All the kids have memories of going and sort of spending time in a like a the room of requirements for each of them, particularly whether it be a tree house, a dance studio, a a reading room, whatever. Uh, And the dad starts to experience things as well, including like uh, black mold in the basement, so on and so forth. There's all these experiences, but they don't build up as events. They don't seem to they don't coalesce. They don't build up to anything. However, they do see things like the. a bent neck lady or the 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 ghost with the bowler hat the bowler hat and the walker stick which is easily mm-hmm. my probably my favorite ones this leads up to an event where the mum dies and we'll, i won't spoil that but now we'll get to that later and then basically it jumps forward sort of like 15 i think it's supposed to be 15 years something like that i think it's like 20 years yeah maybe 20 like years because yeah. they're all they're all quite a lot older I'm going and, to check, so I'm going to fact okay. check. Hold on. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it jumps forward um, to a period of time, and we will confirm how long. Um, 26 years 26 later. years. So it is quite a substantial amount of time later. And then um, the family are basically brought together. Um, and it's, it's the way this is told is um, that the, 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 sort of the youngest of the daughter, the youngest of the sisters, or Nell, um, is having a hard time with things. And um, she's trying to get in contact with each of the with each of her siblings, and as she does so, you get their story, and you get that's where you get the flashbacks, and it leads up to the fifth episode, <laughs> which is probably like the swiftest kick in the nuts of any TV show, um, which has her death in it. She she actually dies, and, and then brings the family back together to confront themselves over the events of what happened, what really happened at the house, what really happened to their mother and all this stuff, and eventually it culminates in them going back to the house, which is now identified as almost like an entity, which, you know, having watched Doctor Sleep, you can see it as like hmm. the overlook. Um, and then they obviously sort of, you know, they confront all the ghosts of Hill House. Actual proper ghosts, not, you know, uh, it sort of, it confirms things. Up until a point, you can take this show and say, it's psychological and the ghosts are a symptom of, of mental illness or this and that. But the, I think the end of the show confirms that no, 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 the supernatural exists and the house is evil. Um, and you, you, we say all that, and it, it, having condensed it down to that, it sounds relatively simple, but it's not. The way this is interwoven and stuff is fantastic. And you get scenes told from different perspectives. You get... Um, each one of these the kids especially has a sort of a subplot running through what happens to them in the house and you know, how their experiences are um i forget which one it is uh steven yeah steven isn't when he's making the dresser for his mum mm-hmm. um, and all that sort of stuff and like that how that pans out i mean that one always strikes me but yeah it's just so well laid out and so you're always on tenterhooks i was always invested in it and there are shows I resent taking too long, you know, like filler episodes and stuff. And you go, oh, this is just a bloody filler episode, garbage. I never feel that really with Hill House. But anyway, that's the, that's that's sort of just an overview. But come on, let, let's dig into it then. So real thoughts then. Let's, let's uh, you know, let's really give the the Flanagan some uh, some love. <laughs> go for it, Ria. I 
as I've said, I am obsessed with Hill House. I think it's basically the perfect ghost story Mm. in terms of it brings together tropes that we know from ghost stories and haunted house stories and perfects them. I love a haunted house story Mm. in any sort of shape or form. I think it's, you know, your house is supposed to be your security. It's supposed to be where you're safe. Um, And when your house is haunted, you are not safe anymore. You know, or, you you know, it's the classic, you, you, you always make excuses. You're like, oh, we'll stay just one more night. All of that sort of stuff. I love all of that shit. I know it's cliche, but I absolutely love it. And he uses all those tropes, them flipping houses. They have to stay in the house because they are flipping it yeah Yeah. exactly and this is the only way to get out of it and then how he then plays that they have to keep the house at the end Mm. oh i'm assuming we're doing are we how are we doing spoilers no we're gonna go for it it's it's, it's, like you say it's been out for four years yeah we're gonna go full spoilers (laughs) i you know i often try to go spoiler free and then find myself going into minutia so no we're gonna go spoilers go for it you know, and how at the end the house isn't destroyed mm. and therefore it's and it's not destroyed because um, the mum, Olivia, Liv Crane, she is, I guess, manipulated by the house and the ghosts in the house into poisoning a child. Luckily, not, obviously, luckily, it's still awful, like not her own children, nearly her own children. Nearly, yeah. And it's the caretaker's children, the caretaker's child, and they say they know that they see ghosts so they want to keep the house so they can still see her and go visit her which is the most heartbreaking thing and mm. there's that you know i think there's possibly some criticism of their part in the story like how they never talk about their daughter and stuff like that but i have a good argument against that anyway um and the house continues to haunt this family afterwards you know, we see so many haunted house films or horror films and they get out and it ends. Yes. And this family, their trauma never ends. I love that about this. Uh, this Isn't That's, it so, like... It's one of the things, like you say, to talk about haunted houses, I want to sort of... Um, the haunted house, the history of haunted house films in particular, or haunted house stories, is, is, is I always find fascinating because you, you go back and um, you said Shirley Jackson wrote this. It was released in the 40s. Um, as a novel, short novel, it's very, very good. It's an excellent story, well worth checking out. Um, easily, easy read, and it has this idea of um, the Hill House. Um, it's a very, it's, not, it's, it's very different to this. It's not, this is, yes. a, this is, a, yeah. this is an adaptation, this is a take on it. The original story is that there's a sort of paranormal investigator is bringing together a couple of people to spend some time in his house, and he lies and says it's basically about sleep. Um, whatever um and then he brings in um nell who is uh, she isn't nell crane she's called she's called nell into this house and she actually has a, a, a history of trauma um but also potential for supernatural uh, abilities and so her being in the house may or may not awaken these spirits and eventually like it drives her insane and she ends up killing herself so it's what's for the book like but like <laughs> it's a it's a sort of it's a 70 year old 80 year old book so tough um but it, it, so when i went into this i was thinking like okay that's great they're gonna go back to this like gothic way and they do they bring it in however i love the fact that it also brings in the tropes and i say in a good way of like poltergeist 
this yeah, like Amityville this, horror. Amityville. Yeah, like this yeah. modern this that the, 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 the Amityville is a very good example because Amityville is the the, the turning point in the seventies where you go away from like web you know spider web covered old ancient houses to there are ghosts in these in suburbia and that leads on to like poltergeist and paranormal activity and all this other stuff and this feels like a cross between the two where you've got that sort of idea that they are trapped in this house and they're doing this stuff it's it's so well done that it brings in it brings in things that should be cliches within the house but he does them in such a way that they they have a night they're fresh enough that you don't feel like you're being fed a bunch of tropes which i like and he's absolutely a re- he's a real uh talent that we sort of touched on in the last episode with some of his films and i use um the the design of the guy that the, the ghost with the with the walking stick and the bowler hat. <gasps> Uh, I mean, he's clearly watched uh, Hush from yeah. Buffy yeah. Um, and gone, that's one of the scariest things I've ever seen. I will make that even scarier and I will make it so. And uh, should we just, I mean, let's just talk about the ghost quickly. So oh, yeah. that th- I basically call him the gentleman because that's what they're called in Buffy. I think he's got a proper name, but I've refused to use it because that's what he is. You know, and he has the bowler hat, but Luke, so baby Luke, little young Luke, oh, still glasses I love him so much he finds the bowler hat or he's given the bowler hat isn't he I think mm. by his mum his mum finds and, it and she yeah she gives it him as a gift and puts it on him and he's so like happy and he walks around all proud in it and then this ghost starts haunting him mm. and the hat makes this like lifelong connection between them that he is then unable to get away with so his his own mother has put trauma on him so fucking I love it so clever Mm. you know and that he now can get can't get away from and it's not and that trauma started before she killed herself gets murdered by the house you know and so it's and that's what I really like about this show as well it is about that the the trauma that our parents pass on to us as children yes well, it covers two things. Cause I totally agree with that. This idea of sort of like generational trauma. Because um, you say about Luke, and Luke to me has, I think, possibly the best, one of the best scares in yeah. this show, which isn't helped by the fact that, like you say, he's a little kid. And we'll talk about the cast in a minute. He's so cute. But the moment he goes downstairs, because this house has got a trill history. So Hill House has got a massive history. You've, you say you've got the sort of. Um, you have the history that is actually given to the cranes in the book. This idea of a previous sort of owners of the house that were uh, brutal, and you know, there's a there's a, a woman from the twenties uh, who was a bit, it was a flapper who sort of who who was uh, vindictive and sort of she went she went a bit crazy. But all that as well is that it was being used during prohibition to um, store and distribute alcohol, and someone went <laughs> disappeared. And they find the body in the walls because he was being tracked down for distributing alcohol. And when Luke gets trapped in that dumb, a dumb waiter, um, obviously a small sort of like waiter, that got elevator thing that goes from floor to floor to serve food, also goes down to this basement that's not supposed to exist. And this thing crawls out after him and gets him. It, it tears him up from his pajamas, and that is so wonderfully done and is so. Um, becomes this moment of trauma, as we say, like, you know, Mike Flanagan loves his trauma, you know, 
traumatizing <laughs> kids. But it becomes such a great moment of trauma. Like it's it's a turning point that because you know Luke, you've seen adult Luke. Luke is an addict. He's he's dealing with substance abuse issues. Um, and when you actually see this, you're like, oh, that's the start of it. Like that's yeah. the point. Like that's the bit that like something snapped where he's like, I can't do this on my own anymore. And so you could see this progression to drugs from that point. And so, as you say, seeing this legacy of, of things, it's, it's, it answers a question to me that I've always had. And Poltergeist is one of my favourite films. I've always loved Poltergeist. One of the first sort of horror films I watched as a kid. And it's one of the films that when you watch it at the end, you go, oh, it's amazing. I love that film. You know, you've, got the, you've had all the sort of like, you know, um, you move the gravestones, but not the graves and all that kind of stuff. But it ends with a house disappearing into like a black hole. And you sort of go, huh. People have been talking about that quite a lot, and this family is <laughs> going to be quite traumatized by their, all their possessions being sucked into another dimension. But it never seems to be like that thing. And then this this show literally addresses that. We're like, oh no, twenty six years later, like it's resulted in substance abuse. Yeah, and you go, yeah, no, totally would that makes complete yeah. sense, or denial, and, or whatever the other one. Yeah, are. and and that's what I love. It's you know, I think. As, so that particular episode, so that's episode four, the twin thing. And I think that's when this show really sharp, starts showing you what it is and what it's mm. about. Because you, at the beginning, they do he does a great job at you getting a sense of all the characters and who they are. But episode four is when he starts bringing in all these different threads of what happened in the past and what's happening in the future. And you see what happens to Luke and he comes out and his parents don't believe him his parents don't believe him and he's you know he's been he's been his shirt's been he's been attacked clearly yeah he's clearly been attacked and the grown-ups around him do not believe him theo does theo you know i mean and you know and and a whole theme with theo throughout is saying listen to people believe people that Mm. you know i feel like she goes she ends up being like a child psychiatrist and you know she has the shining (laughs) yeah and you can tell that's from her childhood as well where Mm. nobody listened to her or her siblings nobody believed them and so she wants to be that person who believes children and and for me that's what so my favorite episodes are four to six I think they really solidify the story and they're really important cogs in bringing the story together and and the payoff at the end well i think one of the points i was going to make is because i i watched this in as i said i watched it in three blocks and i think i watched it in the perfect way because i did i watched one to three four to six seven to ten and it is one of those things where you you, you, that is how this show breaks up yeah like the first, yeah, three, it's almost it's start, middle, and end. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's the sort of like the, the the opening three chapters or three episodes are, as you say, those introductory. Um, they introduce the setup, they introduce the characters, they introduce all the threads, all those plot threads are set up. They will be paid off by the end. And, you know, sort of like you get to know each uh, every single character's sort of like position as a child and as an adult. So, um, how the dynamics work between the siblings what their um, legacy position is, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, substance abuse, denial, um, you know, em- empathic, um, uh, psychiatrist, all these different pieces, like what, what that sort of led to, you get all those bits and pieces. And then it's like, and now for like the big sort of payoffs, you get the twin thing. And episode five is 
I think that's the bent neck lady, isn't it? Bent neck lady, yeah. Yeah. And that's the sort of like the real turning point because then the one after that is the sort of like the address and they get they're all they're all heading to the funeral and stuff. And so that four, five, and six is an emotional roller coaster. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the bent neck lady sort of again, we've talked about one of the ghosts. And so Nell experiences this thing where she witnesses this this uh, phantom, this this entity called the bent neck lady, and she sees her. And there's one of my favourite um, uh, visuals in this is when sort of like she's been laid to sleep on the sofa, and everyone thinks she's sort of laying there. Oh, she's like how quiet she's like how cute she is, and then you realise like she's not lying there sort of still and cute. She's lying there in fixed terror. Because mm-hmm. what she sees is this thing floating above her, watching her with its broken neck. And obviously the payoff for that is you find out that this was actually, this is actually, and I love the way it's done, is the ghost of Nell when she goes so back to the house and she doesn't kill herself, but like she is, mm-hmm. she ends up being hung or hanged, I should say, sorry. And as she falls, like she breaks her neck and she falls through history. And so she sees that first time they went to the Hill House. She sees uh, her in bed and like screaming. Then she sees these other, all these moments that she's been spotted and she sort of like presented them all again. And it's one of the wor- weirdest, it, it feels like to me, that's like the punishment or that's like um, the comeuppance of a villain. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. someone's getting killed and more than that, karma or whatever is going to show them these moments before they die like their life flashing before their eyes but for Nell who has suffered quite you see that like you know through life she's always been the youngest one she's always been sort of like never really taken seriously and other stuff twinned with Luke who's the the addict and she's had to support him and look after him and other stuff to then be shown these again is so heartbreaking it's just like you know and then um for the but 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 it's it is her death that reunites them, really, in, in, a, in a sort of a common purpose. And so it sort of serves a good. And and that's the thing, isn't it? And she saves them all at the end. It's yes. Nell, the one that we perceive to be the weakest of all of the Crane children, you know, the, the one that's who hasn't at all, like Luke, because they were the youngest, right, when they mm-hmm. feed when they when they flee the house so they don't remember their mum very well because they're, they're really young you know they don't really know what happens because children especially at the age they flee misinterpret things or you know all of those sort of things so her and Luke are the two who are the most traumatized and Luke escapes through drug abuse mm-hmm. and Nell doesn't have that she just lives with it every day and she's you know clearly got mental health problems as she would following all those traumatic events you know and she she's so isolated yeah. until she meets arthur oh um, jesus <laughs> which is just it's, it's like it's a proper up moment isn't it yeah. like pixar's yeah. up you're like so happy and then he dies and she thinks the bent neck mate bent neck lady killed she appears him. yeah but obviously the bent neck lady didn't kill him but she can't separate that yeah well, did and that... then it's her, and then she knows, and then just as she's dying, her last, the last thing that happens to her, she basically travels through time and sees all those traumatic moments from her life, including when she thinks the bent net lady, who is her, Killed murdered her, her husband. 
I mean, we should say about Arthur because she, she, one of the things that Nell has is sleep paralysis. I have sleep paralysis. It can fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of those things that sort of like, you know, it, it gets um, lumped in with things like, you know, um, shadow feet figures and, you know, like black entities and all those sort of things. Goes I see back a to. Witch. I oh, see yeah. a, a demon witch. Yeah, it's unpleasant. I've had it. I've had it twice in my life when I was at university, not since. And I never want to think about it again because it was horrific. Um, but yeah, she has this thing, and so she meets Arthur through sleep um, treatments and stuff, and they get together. He's like, you know, he, and they, they are a wonderful couple, and it's really cute. And then it's this, it's, I can't describe it because it's the, one of the most heartbreaking things. This episode is like, it's, I don't know, it's like, you know, you say things about like Mike Flanagan, and it's like, sometimes he just wants to really torture his viewers. <laughs> He wants us. He wants us he wants to, to suffer to the rip same your heart out. Yeah, really. So she is suffering from a moment of paralysis where she's struggling to sort of, you know, gain control of her body again because she's in this form of paralysis, and she sees her husband collapse and he has an aneurysm, and she's put. I'm gonna put, put it nicely, really, but she has put everything in. Like all her eggs are in this basket. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah. And so when that gets taken away, like it's a spiral moment for her. Um, which is then made worse when she sees that Luke's, you know, potentially relapsing and all this other stuff because he's clean at the time. But then you realise that they share trauma. So they are linked through a trauma. So when he, when she suffers, he suffers. And when he suffers, he goes oh, back to the drugs and stuff. And when so, she dies and he's saying he can't get warm and his neck hurts. He's got a yeah. pain in his neck. And they all and think he's just because... relapsing or he's going through like yeah. withdrawals. But it's because he's... Yeah. Because Nell's dead. So when Nell is experiencing trauma, does that line up when Luke starts using drugs again? It does. Like, you know, uh, yeah, 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 right. Like, if you watch this, like, there are things, there are hints at it where, like, every time she suffered, like, that's when he relapses and stuff, mm. or like something will happen. And so they share this trauma. So, like, they're linked in this way. And it's again, you're like, oh my God, it's so. So, yeah, up to sort of five, and then obviously it's like six, it goes into the sort of like the telling um of everyone and it's just it's just like you say it's just i, I remember the first time i watched it i had to stop after six so i almost stopped after five i was like no mm. I've, I've got time i'll watch one more and i couldn't like you, you get that emotional exhaustion where you're like no i'm done like i'm i am exhausted emotionally from trying to do this so not going to do it anymore um and it, it's just it's just so well done. Um, it's the kind of trauma I would say that on many many TV shows you would probably get the, the impact from like season three or four of having yeah. been with characters, yeah. not five episodes. Yeah. Um, so that, I think that's what that's again one of the talents he's got of making you engage with these characters and sort of care, especially some of them who aren't likable. Stephen. And Shirley yeah, are yeah, not yeah. likable at all. I mean, you understand why they are the way they are, but they are not likable, and yet you are on that journey with them, and you don't want anything bad to happen to them. And that's great storytelling. Yeah, although they are unlikable, one of the things we should say is like there's a you you realise there's a reason that they're unlikable. Oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah. and that's one of the things because when you start to see like especially like, say for Shirley. And Stephen, I like the fact that obviously, like, you know, Shirley, Shirley Jackson, Stephen, Stephen King, clearly the two influences on this. Um, as you see their trauma sort of unfolding from childhood, you start to go, yeah, you are kind of 
dickish when you're older. <laughs> yeah. But I can sort of see, I see why you're that way. And so you give them that pass, um, which then comes to, I mean, like Shirley in particular, like let's talk about, well, firstly, we will talk about the moment, but I want to talk about the young cast because we've been sort of mm-hmm. jumping back and forth. And the, the elder cast is, again, a sort of a, a, a plethora of people we've talked about in the last episode. Um, you know, uh, Carla Gugino, um, Henry Thomas, Elizabeth Reza, Kate Siegel, um, you know, we've seen all those before. Um, and we're introduced now to Victoria uh, Pedretti, who they, this is like one of her first things. This is one of her first sort of acting mm. gigs, I think. And also uh, um, uh, Oliver Jackson Cohen, um, who I actually really like as well. I think the guy, they, and that's like, that's Luke and Nell. Nell, yeah. The older versions. They're great. They're so good yes. in this. So good. They're, um, and I'd never seen them in anything else. No. And I was just like, they are unbelievable. So good, but I actually want to just shout out to the young cast because I'm always again, and we've said this like Mike Flanagan's got a really good way of directing and clearly gets mm. great performances out of kids, but he goes back to some greats. I mean, Lulu Wilson returns as young Shirley, who played the daughter of Shirley, obviously, in, in um, Ouija 2. Um, so she's great. I've always got time for Lulu Wilson. McKenna Grace, who I think is just becoming a star. Um, yeah. uh, the other little girl there, Violet McGraw, who plays young Nell. She's like a dot, like she's so cute and so little. Uh, and oh, the same for, like, I love like, her so much. Yeah, but she's really good. Like she, like, she's yeah, so good. Um, and the same for the others, like young Stephen, um, Paxton Singleton, and then young Luke, uh, Julian Hillard. The kid cast in this, like you say, when it when you are sort of waiting half of your show <laughs> on a on a young cast and having them to portray uh, anxiety, fear like some real weighty emotion at times and they do it well um it, it really works out because that could have ruined this show mm-hmm. if every time you went to a flashback and you were like oh man i can't deal with the kids <laughs> like they're irritating like you know if i can't deal with them and so i think i really want to sort of give the kid child actors that credit of saying like you stepped up to be mm. on par if not better than some of the adults in this show so um it is just worth noting yeah, I couldn't agree more. They're all fantastic. And they're asked to do really complicated things. You know, there are, there are times when they have to, in one scene, show multiple emotions. And one of them is often being terrified. Mm. And it's not easy to act terrified. We've seen that for many child actors yeah. in stuff. And, you know, and I, in, as, and as actors, they... I wouldn't say they're asked to act traumatic things, but they are. I think they're asked to do things that adult actors would not be able to do. I agree with that. And yeah. it's really impressive. Well, one of the things, one of the reason I got into that is because I wanted to just quickly touch on, we talked about the young actress, the young Shirley, and the reason she becomes a mortician oh, is so good. absolutely horrifying. <laughs> so she finds this bunch of kittens that gradually, well, just basically die off. Um, and then there's obviously there's one left or whatever, and then that and then they'll die. And she's putting it in the ground in like a cigar box, which again felt to me like a bit of a nod to poltergeist at the start of that mm. sort of Caroline's bird dies. Um, but it moves and she's like, No, it's not, it's not dead, it's alive, it's alive, you know. Look, I can resuscitate it. And then a insect crawls out oh. of its mouth 
and just as again, like each kid has this moment, this, this moment of trauma moment, and the, uh, the, the actress Lulu Wilson, like it's it's just it's like you again, like I said, it's the same with when Luke sees that creature in the basement, like you're like, oh, that's the moment you became an addict. With this thing with like with her, like that's the moment you detached. Yeah. Like when this thing happened with this kid, and like that's the moment that you became your adult version, that you detached and became the thing. And it's like it's so well done um and so well introduced, but also gross. <laughs> yeah. We talk about some of the scares. I think that's a really good place to start with some of the scares. And what I mm. like about Hill House is it's scary, but it's not. It has very few jump scares, classic mm-hmm, Flanagan, mm-hmm. which I love about his work. It's his tension and release is all tension, yeah. um, which makes it such a unique viewing experience. And the fact that he manages to maintain that over five, well, I was about to say, I don't know, I said five, I was about to say 10, but I think you don't, I think it's actually nine episodes because the first episode isn't doesn't really build too much tension. No. It's very much setting up until the very end. Um, and then when he does do the jump scares, they are the, the editing, the timing of it, the pacing of them are absolutely perfect. So like the biggest ones are when Theo and Cheryl are in the car driving mm. to the house and they see Nell, which is absolutely fucking terrifying. She appears between them. To, yeah. yeah. Um, Nell appearing for Stephen in the first episode. Uh, bent neck lady appearing to yeah. Nell at the hotel, at the motel, sorry. Um, and then we get Theo as well in the in the in Shirley's house after the funeral. And yes. The, and so it's Theo and the and the dad is it as the things calling out. Mm. And then all the other scares, you know, especially the ones that happen to the children. There are big ones like the banging on the walls and stuff like that, but it's more. And, you know, and the figures that come into the rooms and stuff like that. But nothing happens to them when the figures come into the room. You know, they they close their eyes and get scared and then the figures are gone. Yeah. There's no release. There's no, no. you don't get to jump. So you, so the tension builds and builds and then it's, it'll just be like a scary face in the basement. Mm. And so you never get that release. You never get that adrenaline release. So what, what you're he, there for 10 episodes. Yeah, I was saying, wound up. What, what he does is a really good thing is... is he proves to you that you are not scared of the dark. Yeah. You're scared of what you think is in the dark. Yes, lovely. So, so what he tells you repeatedly is, oh, no, there is something out there, and I can do bugger all about it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're trapped there. And so Oh, God, a- when Luke's walking and bowler-headed gentleman's behind him, and Luke's got basically OCD and does the counting, and he does it the for seven. every member of yeah. the family, the seven. And that fucking shit scary ghost is just behind him and Luke's counting and counting and counting. Oh, stop doing this to me, Mike. It's that sort of thing. But that's the thing, isn't it? Like the, there is no payoff. Like the, what you sort of realize as well is because the event, the things that hurt them, like the house, it's the house. Like we, we realize yeah. it is the house. Again, like we said, like the overlook is an entity in and of itself. Like it corrupts, it targets, um, you know, a, a you know, obviously the weakest one, but it targets a member but of the family. Of course, because it targets the mother, because mothers are naturally vulnerable. Because yeah. in society, we can never do anything right. Whatever way we raise our children is the wrong way. And you see that Liv is almost a free spirit. 
but there and you know Liv is trying to not live to the constraints of her gender of her sex she's not she's trying to I don't even think she's trying to I think she's just naturally Mm. you know she's not the doting housewife she's not there cooking dinner you know she's not doing all of that but there was there's still mothering guilt in her as we hear like can she keep her children safe the house is telling her no so it preys on that because that's what you would prey on with the mother with um uh with Hugh the father you know they're preying on the fact that he wants to provide for the family he needs to flip this house by the end of the summer so that he can move his family and his wife out into a house so they can have money he can keep them safe so he's he's stuck as the patriarch patriarch role and then you see that when they move out of the house and he cannot look after the children he is he is traumatized by it yeah 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 he is also stuck in his role of being the father he is not able to break out of that and be mother and father and you see that when it's his episode and he wants to talk to them and he wants to tell them and he's so stuck in his societal role as a father Mm. that he was never able to do that for them and so the house preys on all of these things and what's expected of people and that's how it gets them well this is why i think i this is why i'm convinced this happens in the same world as the shining like the the, Mm. this house exists in is the same as the overlook and I like the way you sort of say that, like, you know, if you were to take The Shining and Jack Torrance's sort of like the manipulation the Overlook has on him, it's that thing again of sort of isolation, um, being responsible for the family, the frustration of being, it sounds horrible, but the frustration of being lumbered with a family that, you know, you yeah. care for when you want to be a, a writer, an author or whatever, like it picks on those things. and it, But they all, they all um, result in a different end, you know, an end game. And so with Jack Torrance in The Shining, it results in violence. Um, and you see that almost with um, Henry uh, Crane, like, you know, he, there's, that, there's that sort of like frustration and stuff. But before it gets to him, it gets to Olivia. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact, and I don't know, I don't know I'm, I'm going to lean on you for this one because poisoning is a natural, is, is, a, is a female tendency. Like whenever there's been for sort of female serial killers or female killers, it's often been poisoning. And so for her to use the rat poison and stuff felt right. But I was like, well, is this a trope too far? I wasn't, I don't know. I'd, I'd lean on you for your guidance or your I, thoughts. I, I think it makes perfect sense. So I would say my, my unaf- like not backed up by science theory that women do a lot of poisoning is because women are expected to cook yes. and provide drinks and wait on them. So the easiest way to get rid of them would be to poison them because you just put it in their food or their drink or whatever. And then it's like, fuck off your bastard. Yeah. Um, you know, and also men are physically stronger than women. Um, I mean, unless you're like Serena Williams, who's like the best badass woman around. Yeah. Uh, I dare any of you to take her on. She'll kick your butts and it would be amazing. I would pay so much money to watch it. I'll give it a um, miss. I'm all right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so we so as so we as women as if i just go around poisoning people have to find slightly more cunning ways yeah. to uh, cunning cunning is a good word it's that it's yeah. that sort of like subtlety isn't it uh, but then with with live and with children and doing the poisoning you know from the very almost the very first episode i think it's nell's asking for a tea party asks her mm. mum she asks all of her siblings so the house knows that's something oh yeah now wants it's a week so spot. the house yes and the house knows that that's how to get Nell and obviously then get luke to into the room uh along with the uh daughter of like the the groundskeeper and um, her name's just completely gone out of my 
I've gone out of my head, which is terrible. Um, you know, it's the perfect way. Abigail, that's it, isn't it? Yes. It's the perfect way to entice it, it's them in. the innocent entice them but it's the innocence it's the innocence yes. of the tea party and the nefarious thing that's happening in the tea party that makes it so shocking yes and i like i say like that again because i also like the 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 twisted uh logic that the house has sort of applied to her through these are the ghosts that like no, no this is a dream the world's a nightmare like you know you cannot let your children go because once you let them go um, you cannot protect them anymore. So this is all a dream and you have to wake up and you have to go to the real world. And that feels like a real psychosis. Like I can, there, I'm sure there are people that have that psychosis that are convinced like, no, this isn't the real world or whether it be, um, you know, whether we, we are actually in the matrix or we're in a dream world or whatever. I can imagine that being a real psychosis. So again, like it drip feeds this almost like an easy um, answer. Mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, there's a reason this place is shit. It's not the real world. You are living in a nightmare. You have to wake up. Um, and so I like that as well that she sort of gives into that, um, you know, that logic, that twisted logic that leads to that place. Um, aware of time because I want to say we could we could spend the whole yeah, time. Sorry, we've been talking about this for a very long time. There are a couple of things, and I think you you, you said about the scares and stuff. We've talked about that, and this the the, the it, it's. There are jump scares, but the fear comes from the tension, as you said, that builds mm. up. And it sort of, it, it, um, this does lean into sort of melodramatics at times. I think the funeral, when they're at the funeral parlour, it does it a couple of times, but it's shot so well. Like that, that thing had, yeah. you know, when it has like, it, there's a like long, like, I don't know how long it is, but I think there's one that's like 14 minutes. Like there's a couple of oh, like 14 minutes. all about how it was done. It is... It is so impressive. Yeah. It's genuinely so impressive. Like I can't go into all of it now because, yeah, didn't they because like, like, didn't, didn't, they have like, didn't they have like moving walls and things so the camera yeah, could keep like, going and then it come yeah. out the wall back up and all this other stuff. And then so. like moving the actors in and out of the scenes and sort of like trying, yeah. to, trying to do it. So it's, oh, God, it's so well done. So well done. Um, and not gimmicky. It could come off as gimmicky. Uh, you know you know i have very strong feelings about birdman it's a pile of shit and it's very gimmicky and this does not come off like that you know it comes off as it's it fits the story it fits the narrative it's not to show off even if it is to show off you can't tell that he's showing off and that's why it's so fucking good but i I don't think it is to to show off because if it's to show off i think it, it becomes you would do it for a scare payoff. Like you would do it for a big payoff. Like if you're mm. not paying attention, that whole see that whole episode, you'll go, oh, it was a good episode of that. But like you wouldn't go, there was all this intricacy into it. Yeah. But what it does, especially in those long cuts, is because it's during a storm. They're in this parlor, uh, this the funeral parlor in Shirley's sort of uh, the house, the back of Shirley's house, which is where it's the funeral uh, uh, is a funeral parlor, funeral, whatever you'll call it. Um, and what it does by having those long cuts is you are trapped. Yeah. Edits create edits create a release because you are shifting from one thing to the next. And by having no edits, by having no cuts, you are trapped in that scene with them. And you're as a viewer going, like, I don't want to be here. They're, they're yeah. all arguing. You all have to alone. sit there whilst mm. they're arguing, feeling tension from their arguing, whilst watching Liv in the background. Yeah, exactly. Going, is Liv going to move? Is mm. she going to jump out like... 
and you're forced to you exactly what you said. You're so you were forced to be in the situation that you do not. You are trapped be in. in that room yeah. with them, and that's why it works. So I don't feel this for showing off. It could be, you know, he could easily step out and be like, you know, I did this, and look how cool it is. But it's more about it's done for a purpose. It's not. It's done for a storytelling purpose of. No, 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 you are trapped in that room with them as they argue and fall apart and you've got no escape. There's going to be no cut to them stropping off into a different room. There's going to be no cut to outside and somebody in a car or whatever. Like, no, no, you are there with them. And it's very, very effective. And I think that's sort of why it's it works so well. Um, should we shift to the end? Let's just go straight yes. to the end. So, <laughs> yeah. The, the ending, though, so obviously with these things, people always sort of say about the endings, and go, oh, it, was, it, was, it wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, or I had, I, you know, I thought they'd do this or whatever. What's your thoughts on the ending of how this show ends? When I first watched it, I did not like the end at all. Oh, okay. On previous watches, I've watched it four times. I have a problem. Um, I really enjoy the ending, and I think the ending is the release that you need from nine episodes mm. of tension and terror. And I think it offers a good explanation of what happened and mm -hmm. what has happened, because as you know, I love horror films as well. And mostly the endings are disappointing and they shy away from providing a satisfying ending with an explanation that you will accept. And yeah. I think for Hill House, I sit at the end and I go, yes, this all makes sense. It all ties together. This ending works perfectly for what I have just experienced. Yeah. It, it leaves you with enough ambiguity because I, I often mm -hmm. think that like people claim ambiguity when it's actually just laziness. Um, mm -hmm. But th you know, there's no explanation. It's like, you know, they're not, you're not getting a full explanation of the house. It's not like it was built on an ancient Indian burial ground mm -hmm. or any of that shit. It's just like, but the, you get enough explanation about this family. This, this story ends... And so there could be other stories. There could have been stories before. And there, well, there, we know there's stories before and there probably will be stories after. But this story ends. Um, and I kind of like it. However, it's one of those odd endings because you sort of get the satisfaction of the, reu you know, to get the reunited, uh, the, the husband and wife, and Nell is there in the red room and all this other stuff, right? And then they see this thing. And you also get the... Um, epilogue of the caretakers and stuff, and I can't remember if it's, it's whatever, but like you know, she she is um, he takes her there and she dies in the house and, and she dying, joins yeah. the ghost, so she joins her daughter. And so they, they keep they slightly play these moments as as um, victorious is probably too strong a word, but like as as oh, moments they're meant to be good. However, oh my God, they're not. They're so depressing. No, but that's the thing. Like to me, I was watching this when I watched this last year. I got to the end. I was like, okay, well, they're unified, but they're still trapped in the evil house. Yeah. <laughs> like there is no good here. Like the family yeah. gets some resolution, but other than that, like it's for the people trapped in that house. You know, like there's still that element of what will it do? What the house still has control. Like, the the house I, isn't so defeated. For the cranes, I feel that it's either an, an interpretation from the, the grown-up brothers and sisters that Nell and their parents are mm -hmm. together and safe and happy, 
or it's the ghosts of Nell, Hugh and Liv saying to them, we're fine because they need them to get out of the house. Yeah. That they're like, don't worry about us. We're fine. Glowy, glowy, happy, happy. Because that's the only way they can get the rest of them out of the house. Yeah. Otherwise they're going to keep on going to try and come back and save their souls. And be trapped. And they, yeah. Well, it, it's po- it, I don't think this will change an opinion, but since it's always been released, obviously Mike Flanagan's met talked about it a couple of times. And there's, there was a line he mentioned in an interview I saw or read, I can't remember, but um, it basically, yeah, people ref- referred to the red room as the heart of the house, that room of requirements, you know, sort of it was there for each of the siblings when they were children. It was then there for Olivia when she wanted basically a murder room for tea party. <laughs> And he was like, yeah, you could see it as a hot room. Said, but I sort of see it as the stomach. Mm. And he was like, because that's the room that starts to sap your life force. And that's the room that's sort of like, it gives you what you want. He sort of said it like as a... It's the room like that a, tricks you. Yeah, it's like as a Venus flytrap. It sort of entices you in and that's when it starts to trap you and stuff. And I was like, so that ending then takes on a whole different meaning. And as you said, when they're like, as that door closes, it's almost like the Venus flytrap closing on them and them going like, no, no, we're fine. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, oh, everything's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, We're trapped so, in hell for eternity. Bye. Yeah, that's so it. Does it gives that sort of like that ending and much you know because then you see the epilogues of all the different things that are going on, and it, so it gives it that bittersweet ending, doesn't it? Like you know, it's not a victorious ending, but it's not a wholly depressing ending because they do get to move on and do stuff. Mm. So I like that as well that it doesn't give you that sort of like it gives you enough information for you to make a determination but doesn't explain everything but also it's not like you know these people are dead and everybody else is happy 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 <laughs> it, it, it does have that thing of like no no life is still going to be hard but this story's over um and so i do like that any final thoughts then on on the the, the haunting of hill house no, I think we could probably talk about it for longer, but let's not because let's it's keep late. going. Then. Okay. <laughs> We've got two other shows to talk. We about. have. We'll get through them. So I think we'll probably spend less on on these other two. But yes, as you we'll say, spend a lot less time on Bly Manor. Yes, Bly Manor. So Bly Manor came out in twenty twenty. Um, again, a further adaptation uh, by um, Mike Flanagan of uh, Henry James's Turn of the Screw. Again, this is one of my all-time favourite stories that's ever been told. Yes, and again, it's, it's terrifying. It, it's a great story. Uh, it's not very long, so it's a short. It's a short story. Um, and again, when you read the book, it's it's one of those that, that, that has true ambiguity. It's about gaslighting. Like the story is, it's a fantastic. If you ever want to know what gaslighting is, when you hear it in the news, <laughs> go read this story. It's the story of very much of this. It's, it's depicted quite well in this, but it is about a. Um, a nanny or a, like a um, governess. Governess, that's the word. Thank you. I was trying to remember the word. A governess who comes to a house to look after two children, and basically things start to happen at the house, but you're never entirely sure if it's supernatural or if the, the master of the house is sort of like um, pulling a chain. In fact, gaslighting comes sort of from this because. It's this idea of the gas lighting. He would, all the lightings would get turned down dim, and then she'd be like, "Oh, it's very dark in there." And he'd be like, "No, it's not. It's perfectly light. You're going crazy." <laughs> and so it's those sorts of uh, things. You men like to tell us women we're crazy. We're all crazy when we are not. Bitches be crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but it's, it's it's a fantastic short story and it's, it's like, like you say it's a really really well told story and i think when i was watching this i went back and read it quite long ago but one of the things i was quite impressed with is that, is that he not only sort of keeps the sort of the maid element the nanny the governess element like it opens with it being told the story is being told and that's obviously a part of the story from henry james as well um, and so I like that, that it's this sort of thing. And again, it's one of these things very, very well done that from the first episode, everything you sort of need to know is there. Like you're not yeah. told it's there, but when you get to the end, you go, bollocks. It was, I, <laughs> I should have guessed of all, there, all of yeah. this because it's all in that opening shot or in that opening sort of section. Um, but go on, what, what are your initial thoughts and what's your, your, your thoughts on, on Bly Manor? I have a real love-hate relationship with Bly Manor. You may have got the impression from when we were talking about his films that I think Bly Manor could have done with less episodes. Yeah, I agree. Um, and some slighter and some tighter storytelling. However, I do think it's an incredibly interesting story and an mm. interesting take on Turn Off the Screw. Now, I, as I said, I absolutely love Turn of the Screw. I think I read it when I was too young to understand what it was about and it and it terrified me and I was obsessed with it because I just didn't understand it. and I read it as a teenager and I was like okay this is what it's about I don't know why I was reading it like as a 10 year old um, and I love every interpretation that there's been of Turn of the Screw even when they're not good ones because Have you seen like, like the, the Innocence yeah, is obviously yeah. one of the most famous it's fantastic, fantastic yeah, yeah. But I and I just think that even when it's not done particularly well, you can tell that they're that the story's so interesting that there mm. are new and different interpretations of it. It's why I love the original story so much. Yeah. And this, I like that it's used as the source material, and I like that it takes the key elements from it. But the thing I like about it the most is that it's about love and it's yes. about human relationships. And actually, the ghost story has nothing to do with it. And I both love that and hate it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I know exactly what you're saying, because I was going to say that about love, because it's about, to me, although it's about love, it's about um, toxic love and how toxic love can be um, and how some relationships can be dangerous to be in and also to be around um but one of the funny, one of the interesting things is as you sort of say like th th that sort of forms the thing but you know you have like you have like possession obviously you know touches on possession which then gets into all kinds of really dodgy territory when you've got this sort of them possession of children by these two adults mm -hmm. um and then obviously the the the, the, the characters and you get the question about who's who I, I often, again, love-hate relationship with this idea of, like, you know, going through and you see this thing of going, like, who's dead and who's alive? Who's a ghost and who's not? And I, I'm never a fan of this idea of sort of, like, ghosts having almost like a corporeal presence mm -hmm. in something to an extent where you're like, well, I couldn't tell the difference for weeks that this person wasn't really a ghost. You know, like, well, no, that's, that doesn't really work for me. So when they get the reveal of several of these things at the end, I'm like, oh, Okay. That doesn't quite work, but I do like, like you say, that it leans into those gothic things of sort of like, you know, toxic love. But the other thing as well is he takes that thing we said about before, we said about the, the building, about the tension, about this idea of like, 
you are not alone in this place mm. um, up to the next level like where um hill house has things like the clock the guy who's working on the clock mm-hmm. and so but that's up front it's like you see him and he's there working with other workers and so he just becomes part of the background and then eventually they're like there was no man working on the clock and they're like, <gasps> you get the gas <laughs> with with peter um you know wandering around in this when he comes back again the great you know oliver jackson cohen being really playing a completely different character in this yeah. being very sort of like you know different he's obviously the, the front and present that's our idea of the ghost and sort of the front and present but you can play like spot the spook in this repeatedly and so any twitch of movement not even movement like there are scenes where you watch it and all of a sudden you have to go hang on what the fuck you go back and like there's a figure stood in the corner of that bloody room or there's a great one where they're, they're, there's a, like an argument going on on the driver because they're, 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 again the, the locations i should have the sets and all this and the, the, the location is fantastic there's this long drive this long gravel drive with like fur conifers or something going up the drive i think or and some statues and you see something, and you're like, "Oh, look, there's all the statues." And then one of the bleeding things moves, and you're just like, <laughs> "But it's not. It's not the center of the scene. It's not part of the center. It just happens in the background." And they have these moments like that. And so, to me, it's this creeping tension or this creeping fear throughout of like, "Oh no, this whole place is riddled with stories and with ghosts." And I think that's a, that's where I think Blind Manor works best for me is is in that sort of like meta textuality yeah. of like what the house is. And it, he 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 really ramps that up from Hill House. So you have all the ghosts in Hill House, but they're a lot more subtle. Yes. And they're a lot more... I think the first time I watched Hill House, I didn't notice them. The second time I spent all my time searching for them, like you do when you... The second <laughs> yeah, time you watch Paranormal, Paranormal Activity. And then the third and fourth time I've watched it, I don't really care about the background yeah, ghosts. Yeah. Because actually, it's fun that them being there and it's fun spotting them. And you see that somebody's always watching in the house. The house is always listening. But it becomes a bit irrelevant because mm. the, the, the family relationship and those dynamics are so much more interesting than like background ghosts. You're in Blind Manor. It's, it is, I feel like they are a lot more obvious. Yes. And not in a bad way. Like that can make it sound like it's... it's it's bad but it's not I think it's actually done incredibly well and in Blind Manor we get the threat of both the physical and the ghostly spooky stuff you know because we don't know that Peter Quint is dead no. but we do know that a young nanny in an old English country house in the middle of nowhere can feel very physically threatened yeah. by a man so you get because we don't know that he's not he's a ghost so you know that she could be in danger from Mm. a physical human being but we also know there is something terribly wrong within that house that is also dangerous for her so you've got these two danger points that you're trying to you as the viewer you're batting in between you're like you know is is she ever safe anywhere you know and like and what is the danger yeah well, I think one of the things that's interesting is this, because it goes from a different point of view from in Hill House, you are going from the point of view of legacy. We talked about this idea of yeah. trauma and legacy. And so this idea of living through it, like you are with the characters, and I said, like, you know, on the episode in the funeral, you are trapped in with them dealing with that trauma. 
And so you that is the emotional core of that show, and that's where some of the horror comes from. It with Bly Manor, you you hit the nail on the head. I think is the fact that like what's the character's name? It's played by um, Victoria Pedetri again. Danny. Uh, Danny Clayton. You she is your point of view character. Yeah. And the fact is, like, just like you as the viewer, there are moments when you are like, "What the fuck is going on?" Like, I don't know. You, you will see things and again, like when um, uh, when Peter, like you say, they, they have that great moment, like which is in many of them. It's from the book. Is he, you know, looks in through the window, but then when she runs outside later on, like she sees him on the balcony or on you know the balustrade in part of the house that's been closed off, and there's all these other moments. And you're like, "Is he in?" The-? So you think, like you say, he's like stalking the house, like some yeah. sort of Heathcliff kind of nutcase character. Um, but then, like you say, you learn more. So you are there as her. And it's, it's, it's the dizzying effect of the unknown that keeps you as the viewer. Like, it's a completely different experience. Um, and that's what that's one of the things I do like about it. It does take a different tact. It's like, oh, no, we're going to throw you in there. And, and yeah, um, you are going to have to sort of, like, piece this together, um, which kind of works. And that's why I like some of that stuff, because you are so again, like when you watch it the first time or when you start to spot the ghosts or the movements or the figures or whatever. For me, the way it works, the reason it works is because like Danny, you're going like, I don't know what this thing is. I don't know what this place is. And so every time you see one of these things as a viewer, first you're saying, like, is it important? Do I need to have noticed that? Or is it a threat? Or is it just yeah. a part of the house? Um, and so it becomes like that different fear like where hill house was the threat now it's like what is in this house and we we don't know about um so i kind of like that different take and i just it's such a weird show so i've watched it a couple of times now and i do think it's good i think it suffers from coming after hill house yes which i think does it a massive disservice and i try not to compare it and that's why i enjoy it more on repeat viewings rather than the first viewings because I had very high expectations but there's just some things about it that are just good Mm. and I mean that in the most complimentary way and the relationships between characters the relationships between Hannah Gross and Owen just one of the sweetest romances and, you know, it turns into romance, but at first you think it's a friendship, but it's like the most sweetest and wonderful friendships I've seen on screen, you know, and, I mean, you know, it helps, as always, two incredibly beautiful people looking at each other and being adorable together, um, you know, but their chemistry is insane. And then what happens to them is just heartbreaking. Mm. And then you get the same with... Danny and Jamie you know, mm. and, and their a lesbian relationship and nothing said about it nothing said about Owen and How- Hannah being a mixed race relationship they're just relationships that are presented on screen just people as people strong interesting relationships and it's so for me I'm like do I want to see more of that or do I want more of the horror and that's where the conflict for Bly Manor comes mm. in for me and where it doesn't fit well the t- they're two really interesting strong stories and i don't i'm not sure they fit in the same space i think i think i think when it when it when it moves away from blind manner towards the end mm. it go it, it both gets stronger and weaker in mm. different measures 
And I think you're totally right as it becomes a bit confused as to what it wants to be. I think this benefit, I think this this suffers from the fact we talked about sort of uh, the haunting of Hill House. The novel is like 150 odd pages, 170 pages long. So it's a it's a short story. It's a novella at best, and there's a lot in there. And he obviously had an awful long time for it to gestate in his mind and for it to become something. And so you've got this thing of years of planning and and all this idea and all this production stuff. This came two years later, mm. and in all honesty, I would say it feels rushed. Yes, I agree. Because I think I think it's where Netflix have said, we want 10 episodes. And he's gone, I can give you six. And they've gone, we want 10 episodes. Uh, push, I can give you seven. We want 10 <laughs> episodes. He's gone, all right, I'll give you 10 episodes. And where I said about in um, Hill House, there was not an episode where I resent anything, where I'm like, this is filler. With Bly Manor, there are episodes where I'm like, this is filler. Or, yes. or, or where, where... Oh, the Jolly Corner, the episode with um, Henry having an affair with his brother's yes. wife. I hate that episode. It doesn't drive anything that, that, yeah. in the overall thing. And again, where in Hill House there were things that lingered, as I said, that pace of like, you know, a lot or slow and lingering, like it all felt intentional. But I don't get that same feeling from Bly Manor. Yeah. Um, overall, I still think it's very good. I like. I agree. It. Yeah. But it, as you said, it's all. Sort of, if you compare this to lots of other shows that are out there, especially horror shows, it trounces all. Oh over yeah, one hundred percent. Like I mean, and in in some single episodes, the the Hannah Gross focused episode is mm. is an absolutely stunning episode of TV, where in it's got to be what like fifty minutes an hour long. You get a whole story told that is completely clear and you completely understand what happens to that character. Yeah. And that episode is absolutely genius. But but I think that's one of the things I, that I think this thing suffers from is because you do get those episodes where it's clearly mm. clicked and he's gone, I know this character, I know what's happening, I know what I want to do with it, and you get something on the level of Hill House. Mm. But then there's other episodes, and I honestly think the mo- the one where... Um, I can't remember because it's been a while I watched it, but one where Danny and Jamie move in together, it's got all that mm. stuff. And it's sort of like, it repeats things quite a lot where I'm like, this episode could easily be 15, 20 minutes shorter. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and so you start to, and I feel bad that I'm going like, I want to, I do love this relationship. I love that, you know, this is what saved them both. And so sort of, however, I'm a bit bored of seeing this shit now. Can we move on? Yeah. And it's so true. And I think that's where it suffers. And you, you know, other strong episodes are the one where we get the flashback of what happened to Danny with her fiance. Mm, oh, yeah. Is, it, you know, it's an episode that helps us completely understand who Danny is. And that could be a standalone one episode TV show, just that single episode. Mm. Like, that's how strong it is and so I think you're right it's like why don't we just have six episodes rather than dragging it out of exceptional tv yeah and I think that's the thing like I say this is it's nine episodes long if this was two episodes shorter I think it would Mm. be brilliant much much stronger um it makes me think of like you know you see those um you know you see those images like where they show like a horse you know, and the back end is all sort of like, you know, immaculately drawn. And by the time <laughs> yeah. you get to the head, it's been done like a four-year-old. There's episodes like that, and you're like, oh, okay, they sort of trailed off. Um, 
one thing I would say that I, I, I often think about in this, and it's unfortunate because it, you know, the, 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 the thing with the mirror glasses. Mm-hmm. Harry and Potter. The, yeah, and the lights, but it becomes the <laughs> yeah. lights. Unfortunately, all it reminded me of is a joke from The Naked Gun where <laughs> um, uh, uh, the Leslie Nielsen character has a dream about sort of getting together with one of the, I think it's the first one with um, the female love interest in that. And she opens the top and it turns, it's just two headlights flash, oh, flashing. Yeah, yeah. And, he's, he's and they do that in hot shots, don't they? They've done a similar thing in hot shots. And so you think, like, I'm like, I've seen this as a joke. And so, unfortunately, because I've seen it as a joke first, it doesn't have the impact I think mm. you want it to have. Um, I mean, and then he perfects it and does it incredibly well in Midnight Mass. Yeah. So I'm sort of like, let's just forget that happens because he perfects that in the it, next show. It, it, it's, it's done with a much better effect. Yeah. In, in the next one. But really, I think, you know, like I said, well, we won't spend much time on this because I don't think the thing is, Blind Man does uh, pale in comparison. It suffers mm. from that second album syndrome. Yes. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it was rushed out. Everyone's like, oh, can't wait to see what this genius is going to do next. It's good, you know. It's solid, but it's it, it clearly feels rushed mm-hmm. um, and a little bit sort of like not as tight as it should be, um, but still has some fantastic moments of like. It's not like a complete fall. It's not like you're watching this and going like, "Well, that was a complete bloody car crash." Um, it's definitely a, oh, okay. I'm not as big a fan of this but I still see so many elements of this I really like. And, yeah, and I think it needs to be said that the acting, apart from the two children, the acting is phenomenal in Bly Manor. Yes. Absolutely phenomenal. For, ooh, I couldn't say it. Again, I think the whole cast, again, are really good. I think that they all do pretty well. I don't think there's... I wouldn't say there's a character, there's an act, like a, a cast member that... Oh no, I tell Let's a lie. Sit down. Yeah, no, I tell a lie. The one person that I find irritating in Bly Manor, and I'm gonna find him, is is Henry Thomas as <laughs> as Henry Wingrave. Yeah, but he gets a shit job. I feel I do yeah. feel really sorry for him. I'm like, oh, you don't get to bring much to this character. Well, there is no character, and it feels like he was yeah. miscast. Like it's yeah. not how he he does not feel like the character like he, how he should be. And so I feel that was the problem with that bit. I was like, hmm. I know you're one of his regulars, you're one of his troop, but he needed to find you a different role. <laughs> it's nice that you included, but... Yeah, yeah. You get a participation trophy. Well done. <laughs> um, okay, let's let's move on then to... Yeah, I feel oh, like we've got on a bit of a downer, so I want to bring us back up with, yeah, let's, with let's, Midnight Mass. We've had, that, we've, had the, we've had the lull in the middle. Let's get on to Midnight Mass. Yes. So Midnight Mass came out last year. Uh, it was seven episodes with this, again, see, seven episodes, a bit shorter. This is not, as far as I'm aware, not based on anything. It's not an adaptation it's of anything. His original idea, you will see uh, little Easter eggs for Midnight Mass in both Hush and Gerald's game. So, Midnight oh. Mass is the book that the character, um, uh, the deaf character, I can't remember the character's name, uh, writes because she's a writer. She oh, yes. Midnight oh, Christ, so when yeah. her neighbour comes along and she's yes. talking to her about her book, that book is called Midnight, Midnight Mass. Mass. And then also, I, it must be in Gerald's game, she's reading, or it's on the shelf or something like that, Midnight Mass is there as well. Okay, so what it's we're saying like is... His passion project, and you can tell, and I love it. 
So what you're saying is, though, is that firstly we're saying that um, Hush and Gerald's game uh, exist in the same universe. Yes, I guess so. Yeah, that's a Stephen Kingy kind of thing. Yeah. Now, first, I am going to say this feels incredibly Stephen, Stephen Kingy. King, yeah. Um, and not in a bad way because I'm I I do like Stephen King. I think um, it's better than Stephen King. I, I was it feels say, Stephen King, but better. It did, well, it has a much better ending. Let's put it that way. Yes. Like he, he oh my god, su- the ending is so yeah. good. He provides a suitable ending. Um, but the setup feels very Stephen King. Isolated mm. community, single yeah. supernatural event, uh, yeah. collection of characters. You know, they're all there. Um, you know, like like we were saying before, we were saying before we recorded, sort of the uh, the ze- the zealot uh, Christian woman, the local drunk. You know, blah, the outsider. Who's like the POV character? Who? Well, we'll talk about that. Um, yeah, so I, I feel that, but like you say, about halfway through, you're like, oh no, he's taken a concept, and like you said, it's a passion project. It clearly works. What I was surprised about though is this isn't a ghosty ghost thing. I was like, oh, what's this going to be? Like midnight mass is going to be religious? Are we going to be like the omen or the exorcist or like it's going to be all that spiritual? No, fuck no. This goes a completely different uh, path. It's We're getting so vampires. Good. It's so good. I love it. So what? what yes, yeah, so you clearly enjoy it. But go on, yeah. give, me some, give me some thoughts then about about. Um... I love it. I love the whole setup. I love things that are Stephen Kingy set on a small community. I love things set on islands. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it it either makes or breaks a story, and in this. <laughs> instance i think it absolutely makes the story i think it's absolutely essential to the story Mm. um and it makes all the motivations of people make sense whereas i think people often go and i would probably do this if i was one someone would be like it would be cool if everybody was on an island so they're stuck there without thinking through the actual narrative without back to the futuring it you know like you know back to the future best storytelling i talk about it all the time i don't need to because everybody talks about it but and and for me midnight mass back to the future is it everything's there for a reason it's all in a place all connects it's fucking brilliant um sorry you go no just to that point i think one of the things because it's one of the points i wanted to make actually um maybe think of the stephen king but you you've nailed right there that this island community um does it have a name i can't remember it's called crockett island crockett island thank you um it feels like it has not only a history but a story and that we are at the tail end of that story. Like yes. We've come in at the, the finale. The, these seven episodes are like, oh, this is the this community is dying. Yeah. Like, so no, about disenfranchised America. Yeah. It's about modern the failings of modern religion. It's about environmentalism. It, you know, it's about how we, you know, we try to escape where we're from and we often end up back where mm. we're from i try to escape small town mentality i moved to london and now guess where i, I live in <laughs> a big old town that's full of white middle class people you know it's all of that stuff and that's what i like about it well it comes back to that idea of trapped isn't it like we've talked about yes like, they're also trapped in it, many many ways yeah exactly like it took like, like the, the first there if you want to get really sort of like pretentious about it you know they are all trapped on their own personal island um, <laughs> but, th- but that's the case like you, like you say they're all there for a reason um 
but I also like how it's twofold. Like they are there for a reason, but the isolation itself is a is a contributing factor. This exceptionalism, this isolationism sort yes. of contributes to the growth of the story, which again, you know, we're British and we have to deal with this notion of being the, uh, you know, British exceptionalism, sort of like, you know, this ridiculousness of it. But this idea of an island nation where you're like, oh, what? no, no, we are, we, we are, we, we are, you know, yeah. we are, this is who we are and you just must respect it. And so this idea of legacy, it sort of, it comes up in this story repeatedly. It's like, we've been here for nigh am bloody hundred years. Kind of they crap. complain about people who've gone to the mainland. Yes. Like, oh, they've all left to the mainland. Urgh. You know, we're, we are here. This is our land. We've worked here. We've lived here. It's, you know, we've got the backbone to stay. And it should be like, you should not be here. You should be going off and giving yourselves better opportunities in life. Yeah, but it's, it's like taking this idea of, you know, let's take it, we, you know, we're watching this as outsiders really, but like, it takes the idea of small town America to the yeah. except to the, to the extreme. Like we're not just a rural county or rural town. We're, a, we're we are a, an isolated rural town on yeah. an island. You know, um, d- dependent on you know one industry. We're dependent on fishing, um, and that's it. Um, and so yeah, it, the I, men I, are fishing. The men are fishermen. The women are teachers or yeah. apart from the one who is a doctor who obviously did not train on the island who went to the mainland and then came back because her mum was sick we presume mm. you know it's like traditional roles it's all of those sort of things yeah and I, so I like that idea this idea of sort of the outsiders or or having left and being sort of sullied by the the wider world Going back to even back to Hill House, the sort of this idea that corrupted Olivia, this idea of sort mm. of like the wider world is a bad, bad place, um, you know, bad influences, so on and so forth. But coming into that, though, coming back into this, we get this. There are two characters, these two returning characters. Um, and I like the fact that they sort of how they work. You get the the Ripley Flynn character who sort of Riley. Sorry, it's Riley. So also oh, I've just read about yeah Riley Finn, and he's obviously coming back because his parents live there, and he's obviously you know, has a history there, um, and he's coming back with baggage. Like there's mm-hmm. been there's been this crash and this incident, everything on the mainland. So he's coming back with, with his baggage, and then the priest who I'm trying to find the character now. Monsignor or yeah, well, Father Paul Hill. There you go. <gasps> dun, 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 spoilers. Yeah. So he comes back and he's obviously a younger man. And at first he's like, well, I've just been placed here to, you know, bring the community back together and blah, blah, blah. Whilst Monsignor is off getting better. He was ill. Um, and, and instantly, like, you know, he starts to sort of pontificate on these extreme christian ideals mm-hmm. um and you can see it feeding into certain parts of the of certain parts of the society or this community and then he it's we've talked about the manipulation in you know again in all these things whether it be a character or a house or a building whatever the targeting of the young girl in the wheelchair this creating of a miracle straight away it feels, it clearly is. It's so intentional and so mm. manipulative. Um, I love Father Paul. I love him as a character. Uh, Hamish Dinklage is amazing 
absolutely mm. amazing in the oh, sorry i interrupted you because i got too excited no no, no you're on. right no no you're Carry right because i think it's what what i was going to say is because the thing i find most interesting about it is the conflict in it like he's done it on purpose like this you know he 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 this girl steps out of her wheelchair and is able to walk again and it obviously comes with all these things and you find out obviously that that comes with its own history which we'll go into um and so instantly I'm watching this and as a bit of a, you know, having seen this stuff before, I'm like, oh, he's clearly the baddie. Like, he's just an evil baddie baddie. Like, that's just it. That's just my intent. Like, he's just evil baddie baddie. <laughs> but he's not. He's not. Like, he has he has had his own issues or whatever we should get into, but he sort of thinks he, he thinks he is on a, you know, he's on a mission from God. Um, yeah. He thinks he's back to do good, um, and obviously it gets derailed. So yeah, I, I like the conflict in him of how he's like. Well, I thought he thinks he's doing a good thing, and the manipulation still is like. Well, I'm doing it for the you know it's like the, the 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 road to hell is paved with good intentions kind of thing, and so I like that as a um, his story, his journey, and the realization that comes later. Ah, uh, and and I love that compared to Bev. So. Father Paul comes in, says he's 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 being their priest uh, whilst Monsignor Pruitt gets better, but he's not. He is Monsignor Pruitt, who's been made youthful through meeting, who he genuinely thinks is an angel, because when he is Monsignor Pruitt old, he has dementia of some sort. He has incredible ill health. So, you know, he's an unreliable narrator in terms of what the vampire slash angel is, which is amazing. I love unreliable narrators. I think it makes really interesting storytelling. So that what's, that's what ends up putting him on that journey of believing that this is the right thing to do. Because when it happened to him, he had that, you know, he had the dementia that hmm. that's how he interpreted it. And so he continues to interpret that way because that's truly what he believes. And then you get Bev, who's sort of like the, I guess she's the, the zealot, but she's not. We know she's basically embezzled money almost <laughs> um, to open up this rec centre. And so we know Bev is all about power. She pretends she's about religion and and believing in God, but she is all she likes the power of religion. She likes the power of the church. And it's that true belief against the fake belief, the wanting the power of Bev, which is so interesting. And I could just watch those dynamics throughout the show. Yeah, like over and over again, and and when it become when it comes towards the end, and Father Paul, Monsignor Pruitt, um, he realizes he's made a mistake, mm -hmm. and he realizes this has all gone incredibly wrong, and it was not a message from God. He, you know, he wants to make amends. He yeah. or he wants to end it. He wants to kill everybody to mm -hmm. not let this get out. You know, he's like this needs to finish. And Bev is the opposite, and it's just so good. Well, Bev's interesting character in that, like you say, because I, I love the fact you say about her being about the power rather than the religion. Yeah, the religion and the piousness, I'll put that in sort of like inverted commas, is, is a vehicle, isn't it? Because it allows her to have this sort of the she believes like the moral high ground. Mm -hmm. Like she's able to look down at everybody and be like, you know, well, 
I'm the good one. I'm the sort of the pure one or the pious one. And everyone else is obviously is beneath her. Um, the one thing I would say about this is the one, the, the one downside I'd say of this sort of part of it is she is, I think, too heavy handed mm. as a character. Um, and so like, I, I hate her, like, as you're supposed to. But she has no, no positive traits. Whilst all the other characters, you see there's conflict in them or there's mm. um, there's edges to them where you go, okay, even not the best possible characters, you you know, you get some some different edges to them. Like the sheriff, you know, the, oh, the Muslim. Him. Yeah, again, yes. played by... Um, Raul Cooley. Raul Cooley. Again, you know, he's really good in this. In fact, I'd say he's better in this than he is in Blind Manor. Yes, he's um, amazing in this. Yeah, he has that thing of like he's escaping something, you know, he's and he's dragged his son over sort of to do this. So there's that conflict there. And so you get more, you know, you get he's a good person, but there's clearly some shit going on. And so he's not white than white or, you know, he's not a pure character. He's got some baggage. And then so when the conflict comes of his son converting to from from Islam to to Christianity, like you then get that conflict where he's like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to give him room to spread his wings, but I'm really uncomfortable with this. Um, and so I like the fact that he's a good guy, but you see that there's those conflicts in him where he's like, I, 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 yeah, I see this is wrong and I see this is corrupt and I see this isn't, you know, this isn't the religion I believe in or whatever, but I don't want to poo-poo it, but I also don't want to give him my blessing. Like it's, I see, and I like that. And you see it in, there's so many others as well. But then when you get to Bev, it's like, oh, no, she's just a shitheel and, and you're supposed to hate her. And I find that's a little disappointing because I think you know, if she was like a widow that had resulted in this and her loneliness had driven to this, then you'd be like, again, I'd be like, OK, I, I want that little bit of meat. Like She's the one character that doesn't have like a history or a legacy or whatever. You know? But I'm fine with that because I just want to hate her. I, <laughs> so I, you're right. I think academically you are correct. But I just want to hate her, so I I am very forgiving. I do what you mean. No, I know what you mean. Because at the end, when it comes to the oh, finale, when she's scrabbling in the sand, she's such fucking yeah. little. Oh, especially she the, the best herself, way. Like the, fuck off, Bev. I'm so glad you burned to death. Yeah, but next to when you have um, the sheriff and his son sort yeah. of kneeling, kneeling oh. to it. Uh, sheriff Hassan and and his son sort of kneeling, and again, I'll get to that moment in a minute because that moment's fucking heartbreaking in another way. And the acceptance that they have, and the son, you know, taking that, you know, um, and then her trying to hide, you're just like, yes, you want to go, you burn, yeah. bitch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but one of the things that relationship between Sheriff Hassan and his son is so sort of, you know, back and forth. There's so much corruption. Amazing. But obviously, we'll get to the. We'll, so we'll... much is said about their relationship that isn't said yeah. in lines that are delivered. Yes. It's you just all they... in their acting. They are just. Those Perfect. two, they just work so well together. They've yeah. got kind of chemistry. It feels really right. It feels lived in, which is one of the things I love about these programs. When they feel lived in, like I can go, yeah. oh, you're a real person. Like I can imagine you being a person. But when when um, his his son sort of like, you know, has been, this one's more recent, but careful. We're going to spoil the shit out of it. When <laughs> his son accepts the transition and becomes like, you know, vampiric, I don't know whether it's, it's a vampire, whatever. 
Yeah. Um, but then Ted goes to the sea and sort of kneels and starts to pray with his dad. Oh. I kind of love the fact because his dad's been shot and his, his dad's going to die. I it sounds daft. I love the fact that his dad, the sheriff Hassan, dies first. Yeah. Seeing his son pray and but doesn't get to see his son die like it's we do and that's quite horrific. Yeah. But I'm well, so he's glad he had to see his son die. Hasn't yeah. He in the church. And then he saw it saw him brought back. So I'm glad. And, I'm get, glad yeah, and that's it. And gets to see him almost come back to his faith or at least have enough respect for his father to, that he understands that praying together in yes. his final moments is an important, important. thing to do yeah and it's, it's these little moments again so there's like one of the things that's in we'll talk about you know i think for my flag is is the small moments as well yeah. throughout all this but this program more than some of the others is full of them yeah. of those little exchanges that just are just so well done. The the relationship between uh, Riley and um, the pre- I'm terrible the, the pregnant woman uh, played by Kate <laughs> by Kate Siegel Erin I've got IMDb here is really <laughs> sweet. Like it, yeah. it has it has one of my favourite conversations on of any television program ever, and they talk about what is death, what happens after death. And she talks about, she's obviously Christian, so she talks about this idea of, of you know, the Christian uh, ideal of passing on, uh, this idea of heaven and meeting people and so on and so forth. And then he says about, well, I'm atheist and I believe this, becoming one with the universe and the energy pass on. And both are beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And it's, again, just this really cool moment that you've set this up and then, unfortunately, knowing that you're like, well, this isn't going to end well now, is it? <laughs> Unfortunately. But when it doesn't end well, I'm like, oh, they've had that beautiful moment there. They've had that moment, and I love it so much. So, And then that scene when he kills himself in front of mm. her, basically, is what he does. Is Oh, on the boat. Yeah, is... there, And that's the thing. It, that's not a small scene. That is a big scene, but it's... It's... Mm. It's, it's played a, but it's played like a small scene and it is and it's you know the camera is held still he focuses yeah. on what is happening and what is great about midnight mass is when it comes to the action it's not he doesn't do anything showy or he kind of does but it doesn't feel feel showy you know the editing is just so perfect you don't lose track of everything but it feels like action is happening yeah Yeah, he's almost a he's so i love studio ghibli films and one of the Mm. things i love about studio ghibli films is in pretty much every studio ghibli film they will hold a scene longer than they need to yeah and it and it's genius and that's basically what mike flanagan does in midnight mass he will hold the scene until you absolutely need to break away from it and it creates such an amazing sense of what is going on in the world and you know he just pushes it just that little bit so you either feel uncomfortable or you feel comforted or you know you're wondering what's going to happen next and he just he really nails that and mm. it's it makes it a very different beast to hill house but but in a good way like the pace yeah. is so much slower. It's so slow, but but it so, works. So, yeah, something's always going on with this. Yeah. Um. Again, because and also as this show falls into that, that category of Hill House of blocks, like two blocks. Mm. This is this has got mm. a turning point. 
And then when that turning point happens, like the show takes a real turn. Yeah, um, fucking hell. Um, and you talk about action. Doesn't it just? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But one of the things you say about the action in holding those scenes, he does, and that's what I like. Like that scene on the boat as well. Like he's played for scenes. And again, you as a viewer don't know which way it's going to go. You know what's happened to him. And because when they go out, it's nighttime. Yeah. And there's that moment of like, is this just a sweet moment? Is he going to turn her? I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen. And then when the sun rises and she realizes it, like he's told her the truth, he's told her everything. It's like, yeah, no, everything's like gone to shit and this is what's happening. And I think it's this. And then he burns in front of her on that boat. One thing I would say, it's a wooden boat and he didn't know what was going to yeah, happen. Yeah, so, I did think that. I was like, yeah. that, that could be pretty. That could have gone wrong. Yeah, you don't know that you're not going to set the rest of yeah. the boat alight, Riley. Yeah, um, so there was that one moment. But the other moment, the other thing I like about this as well is it, it, it combines some of the best bits of both Hill House and Blind Manor. Blind Manor, I agree. In that, as I said with Hill House, it's about legacy and history, and you've got all that moment of like you, you know, you've lived that history with those characters. And there's others with Blind Manor where you're just thrown into this shit, and you've got to try and figure it out, and you there's things going on around you you don't understand. And it has the both of those. So you've got characters that clearly represent the legacy um, of the house of the sort of the island, like the old drunk who the one who shot the girl, and all these other characters that have got this shit like Riley's parents and all this other stuff that has got this legacy. And so you start to realise some of the trauma and stuff and this this almost arrogance of this island community. And I like that because then you do linger on those moments as well, and you get sort of like relationships and stuff. But then you've also got like with with Riley and also Erin in particular these like what the hell is going on moments. So when Riley loses her, but no, sorry, when Erin loses her baby, Ugh. and you're like, yeah, I, I, like she's like it's something stolen it, like it's I don't know she was, but then was going, no, 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 your body's completely healthy. And then it's when it's explained, it's not explained, like it's it's held there as a mystery, and you don't get the explanation until basically it's like. The the vampire blood healed you of your pregnancy. Well, because babies Isn't... are parasites. Because babies literally, having had a baby, they literally <laughs> suck the life out of you. Even and, after and... they're born. Well, that's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, they, but, but they do. And so mm. I have suffered from miscarriages. And one of the reasons that, all, that it, miscarriages can happen, there are multiple reasons, and potentially some of the reasons why my multiple ones happened is because there was something essentially wrong with the embryo that implanted mm-hmm. and my the human body is so amazing um and uh, we should say trigger warning about miscarriage because i talk very openly about it because i've been through a lot of therapy um but my body went there is something wrong with that embryo it is it is a parasite yeah it we are expelling it and i will be expelling that from your body it was, you know, it was still a hideous thing that happened to me, but my body did exactly the right thing. And when mm. you're pregnant, if you get like tox- toxoplasmosis or anything like that, you know, unfortunately your baby will die because it takes that in and it recirculates it back to your body. So it makes you sick. So your body goes, that thing is giving you this thing that's making you mm. ill as in the, the baby. I am getting rid of that. So that's what the vampire blood does. I mean, it's fucking awful. It's yeah. so yeah. awful. But the vampire blood goes, this thing... It's a parasite. It's a parasite. I am getting rid of it. 
and it literally makes it disappear i mean mm. and of course because you know the, the vampire blood is about making them youthful and that sort of thing so it's turning back the time to when she wasn't pregnant as well but you know it fits into that stuff about why women unfortunately lose mm. babies and it's just like in in and i think that's what i like about midnight mass i think it's very real the cat you know the characters all feel real it feels like the island is real. if you told me there was a crockett island and he like went to visit it and these were all the characters i would 100 oh, yeah. believe you you know the relationships between all the characters feel real the things that happen to them you know what happens to erin i mean it wouldn't happen as in like it as she's never been pregnant but you know, what happens with losing the baby is real but then the world building is so strong that mm. the fantastical elements work in this realness when the doctor's testing the blood the the whole build-up to that the subtle things in the build-up to that make you immediately go that's happening because it's a vampire and it's sunlight yeah and that's such fucking good storytelling it is and one of the things that's what i actually want to get to when we get to the turn but we'll, we'll talk about sort of just talk about the vampire blood and again this idea of, of an isolated community because isolation and you know niche uh, or click mentality is is both you know that clan mentality is both good and bad like you, you can feel secure in it and it can give you a sense of, of uh belonging and all these other things and you know um i i would use sort of like the comics in motion sort of like the discord and always you can be a part of a group and it can be um a, a, an opening experience where you get to meet and work with some fantastic new people however it can also work the other way where you go walls down this is my group nothing else happens outside of this yeah and that can then create a mentality and i like to see the mentality in this because what you see is this thing of the temptation of youth the temptation of immortality and this like you say when, when the fantastical elements come in because you've seen this the, the shit that this community's gone through for then this boon to appear for this thing to go well actually there's this I can give you a more immortality, like you know, yeah. There's a bit of a yeah. You may have to drink some blood, but you can sort of deal with that. <laughs> but you're gonna have a more, you know, you're gonna be young again, you're gonna be strong again, and virile, and all sort of stuff. Like, I can totally see this community going. That's for me. Yeah. Like, it's not a yeah. hard nudge. This isn't going to sort of like New York and finding a bunch of people and going that's the thing, like, or even sort of like you know London, or whatever. Like, this is an isolated community that's going like the, the outside world is isn't us it scares me and now but now i'm giving i'm being given something <coughs> i wasn't given before mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me and i like that as well like you say because it's real so when you do get the turning point in some cases in shows or films like this it feels forced or it feels a bit like well as you said no one would make that decision that feels ridiculous <laughs> with this like, I'm like, oh no, I totally understand why everybody's yeah. in that church. I get it. But let's talk about that turning point. Oh, the, you talk what about an the, episode. You talk about the action as well. Um, one of the great things, and I'll just throw this in before we sort of go, one of the great things I think of, of good storytelling is <coughs> you take the real and then you shift it like one degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So you only introduce one element. Like if you if the vampire didn't exist in this, like you could be telling the story of an isolated fishing community. Like this would still work. Like all the human elements, it's all the human subplots would work 
as just as a seven part mini series about the human dramas of an isolated yes. fishing community. It all there, and then you go, and now I'm going to add in a vampire <laughs> <laughs> and the law that goes with it. So like, it's not hugely fantastical. It's just one element, and they stick with it, and it keeps mm-hmm. its own rules, and that's why I love it so much. Um, but go, t- tell me about that episode then. So what? Yeah, that episode because I think it's for you to say. So, it, so, Pruitt, well, I mean, what should we call him? Should we call, should we just call him Pruitt? Because even, because he's Father Paul, isn't he? He's also Pruitt. Father Paul, Pruitt, whoever you want to call him, he has been spiking the, I don't know why I'm laughing, spiking the communion wine with the vampire <laughs> slash angel's blood. So knowing that they will be, if they die, they will automatically be resurrected as yeah vampires um it gets to he gets everybody to come to midnight mass because he's he's basically a cult leader right like mm. i'd love to have hear somebody talking you know an expert on cults about this tv show um and how he basically indoctrinates all of these people into his cult of the vampire slash angel um so they all go to the church and he reveals to them the vampire slash angel let's just call it the angel i love that um, reveal yes oh my god it's so, so good. good and he doesn't do any darkness with it and that's what i love because okay. i find within horror you either need to keep the monster hidden yeah or you need to keep or you need to reveal the monster <laughs> and the monster needs to be good enough that you can see it in full light and he goes for the full light and it fucking works um and so he reveals the angel and says i will give you eternal life you will meet god you know you will ascend by killing yourselves it's very you know jonestowny yeah, yeah oh god stuff. yeah that was yeah. Right, yeah um and so most of the congregation well i'd say maybe 75% of the congregation have all been indoctrinated into this thinking so they go for it including <sighs> hassan's son um uh, well, he's one of the. See. He's one of the. Is, is he? He's one he, of the first. Yeah, the first, which I it? love, and I love in terms of you know when we're talking about cults and things like that, how you know it's often because it, he's not particularly vulnerable, is it? He's not. You know, he he's new to the island, mm. newish. He he sort of. You know, he has so what you see is so, not so it's Ali. So he has, you know, obviously he can act, has the connection to his father, but he has two friends and that's it. You know, he's I was just he's saying, quite I think, isolated yeah. and his religion, his father's religion makes him isolated. He just wants to fit in with his friends. I, I was gonna say so he's I think, perfect yeah. for being turned I was gonna to say, yeah. Christianity slash his, cults. His his vulnerability comes from his age. Yes, yeah. Because when you absolutely. say he's isolated, like you know, it's his um his ethnicity, his religion, yeah, um, the the, and also, also like you say, you know, this is, um, you know, an isolated white community, Christian community, and also the baggage that now comes in America with being a Muslim. Oh, so, and that that speech is, yeah, exactly. Yes, Flanagan loves a monologue, and he that does. is one of my favorite monolo- yeah. monologues that he's ever done. I think it's so powerful, and I think it's delivered so incredibly in the, well in the school when he talks in the school 
Well, there's the one in the school, but then there's the one when he's taught when Erin comes to talk to Hassan and tells Sheriff Hassan and tells him about Riley missing. Yeah. And he talks about missing people, why he joined the force, why he came oh, God, to yes. Pocket Island. Mm. And you know, oh, it's just it's just brilliant. And um and so right, so they come to the church and then everybody starts drinking the Kool-Aid as such. Yes. Although it wasn't actually Kool-Aid, was it? Anyway, doesn't matter, we're not talking about that. Um and then they start to revive as vampires. And the plan from Father Paul was that he would like introduce them slowly, get them to understand, because it is about being in touch with God. It's about an angel. It's not about vampire bloodlust. But Bev, bless her, has different ideas. He's been knocked out, so he can't control it. And then these newly created vampires descend yeah, on beasts. everybody else in the church and there's no discrimination children you know all killed turned in some cases but also mm. not we find out when they're released from the church that like a father kills his own children he doesn't turn them because nobody's told him about that you know Bev just releases them onto the island and they just, just destroy the whole place and then our heroes as such who have not been turned escape and off they go and hide and try and figure out how the fuck to sort this out. Yeah. And my favourite thing about that is those, is our heroes, they are not there to save themselves. They're there for the greater good as such. Mm. They, you know, they know they are going to die. And they go, what do we do to stop this from getting any further than Crockett Island? But it's not done in a superhero cape way it's just their utter resignation that this is what's going to happen and they need to do something about it yeah it's a twist on the mentality it's that thing mm. of that we've been you know you've seen the population of the island saying that the outside world everything that beyond the island is bad is the other and now you actually see islanders taking on actions to protect that outside and that other that they feared and hated and so there's that realization of actually it was never that bad. But <clears throat> so I do like that twist of actually like the, the isolation becomes both a blessing and a curse, or a curse and a blessing, you know, if you're that way. Um, and I, but I, you're right, it's um, it's that sacrifice, isn't it? That acceptance of sacrifice. Although saying it, the ending of this show has the two kids mm. in the boat, um, <clears throat> and so you do think sort of like you know, because it, again, this one doesn't end clean cut you know mm-hmm. um and we'll get to that in a little bit but like i said once that that vampire has been introduced once we've had that moment and again <sighs> one of the things i will say is the whole show just changes it's so it good. does it literally on a dime because you yep. then get you said about the action about the editing one of the things i like about this and it's about jump scares as well is they're held like there's some moments and like all of a sudden it's like bang and then like the, the vampire attacks where it attacks riley or I think there's a moment where it sweeps down and sort of flies off with someone and some other mm-hmm. bits. Like, there's these moments when, and, you know, and it's the same with when uh, Monsignor sort of like, when he loses it and he attacks that guy, so that's biting into his head uh, and all that stuff. You're like, it comes out of nowhere. You're like, but you're oh, not... and he's just like drinking Joe yeah. Polly's brains. Yeah, but it's Wipe not it like, like it's... a little dog. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like, it's not done for God's sake because you've had none mm-hmm. of it. So when it happens, you are like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, that's yeah. not what I was expecting. 
it, it's so much more effective. It's so much more of a gut punch. Um, and so I'm, I was really impressed with that, of how he sort of, he his restraint on hitting you with those uh, moments. Because there's others that be like, right, we've turned the corner. Now it's all on. And, you know, it's going to be a completely different thing. And Let's go 30 on. days of night, you know. Exactly. That's the way it yes. could have gone. Exactly. Um, and so I'm glad that he doesn't do that because I think he really does hold off and as well. However, the visuals, when they start to burn the town, oh. um, which is the, an odd thing because they do, they start to burn all the accommodation, but they're like, no, 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 we've got somewhere to go. And it comes down to like, we've just got to destroy all. Um, all ways they can shield themselves anywhere they can the sun, otherwise the next night they'll be, yeah. yeah. And so I like that in a resolution that it comes down to that. And obviously you see them sort of dying off one by one. You know, they kill off the fishing boats and they do all these other bits and pieces. All of it's so meticulous and so well done, but it feels like a plan, but like not, Mm. not like a master plan. It's just more like, well, this is what we've got to do. I love that they're just like, we are so fucked. Let's just burn everything down. Yeah. Like it's not a good plan. It's just the the plan. It's just like, well, we can't, we can't do anything other than this. So the grand plan is to take them out in any way we can. Um, and so it's one of those things again where I think back to this where I think like this if this was to be the real world you know it's one of those things where like I think of like Roanoke or one of those other sort of like you know um, islands where you sort of hear like you know the population just disappeared like you know there would be this amazing thing of like there was just ash across this island this this, you know Mm. this island just disappeared um, and so I like the fact that this has a mystery. Like the outside world never learns of this. Yeah. Like there's no grand reveal. There's no um, hero moment. Like there's not a tugboat that comes past and saves people. You never into the vampire itself get its wings gets burnt and blown out, stabbed. That moment is feeding, and she's stabbing its wings. Mm. It's feeding on Kate. It's on Kate Siegel, isn't it? Yeah, and she's while she's dying, she's still like piercing its the the membrane of its wings, and then when it tries to fly away, it's struggling, and you see it sort of flying over the sea, but you don't see it die. Yeah. So even the kids at the end say like, "Did it get far?" It's like, "Well, it's this far to the to land and this and that." And I'm like, "Yeah, but you haven't seen that. Is it? If you don't see a body, yeah. you don't know it ain't. <laughs> you don't know it's dead." Um. And, but there will never be a sequel. I don't want a sequel. I don't want this oh, story's God, ended. No. I don't want the sequel. But it works so well. Um, and the visuals of that island burning are so, so well done. Oh, so the, the visuals of that at the end, and then with Riley's mum, is it Anne Annie, mm. leading, like becoming, you know, she comforts all of these people who have done these evil, terrible things. Yeah, because as far as we know, every single person who gets turned then goes and kills somebody else. Or at least attacks them. them yeah. with song. And then you get that song rising. And it, and for some reason it works. It could be mm. incredibly cringeworthy. And it is not. It works so well. The song rising and the flames and, and the dawn coming. Like, it's so effective. But again, it's that thing of how it's done, isn't it? Like, because it mm. could, uh, you say, it's, it's it's the restraint with which he he uses these things. Like the song in it, sort of like it drifts off into the wind. It's not ended with like a, a howl or a scream yeah. or anything like. There's others would be tempted to do that kind of thing where they're like, oh, I'm now going to have everyone the sound of people, or I'm going to see people burning or whatever. No, 
you don't need to see that. You know they're you know they're done for, whether it's the fire or daylight. You know yeah. you know they're done for. So just have them singing, and we'll have these moments individually, like Bev on the on the beach and uh, Hassan and his son, and those other things. But you see those moments, um, rather than like you say, having some sort of like big spectacular moment of all like blade with it all burst into sort of yeah. ash or something. <laughs> it's not that. And I like the fact he does it. That's the thing I think with Mike Flanagan, of course, all of this has been restraint. Mm. Like he knows when to Absolutely. do things, but he holds back. Like he really does hold back in a good way. Anyway, so any, any final thoughts then on, on um, Midnight Mass? Oh, I don't. I could probably talk about it for longer, but we've been here for such a long time, and I don't envy you having to do any editing if you're going to do any at all. Um, it's, it's, it's just, been a great discussion. I just love these, <laughs> these rolling discussions. I just think it's a show that it's so different to a lot of his previous works. I think there's, I you can see how he gets there, mm. and it's so you know it's so different to like. I did not know what to expect after watching mm. three episodes of this. And I think that shows how special he is as a writer and a director. And it stays with you like Hill House long after it, you yeah. know, you finished watching it. And I think they are so different. And that's pretty amazing that he can create these two different, very different things. And they have, a, have an equal impact on you. One thing I would say is because he's clearly, you know, he's not he's not old. He's still got a lot of time to, to produce a lot of, you know, some good stuff. However, his batting average across all the things we've talked about, all horror, so he's all, you know, there's no, he hasn't gone off and done a, like a rom-com or something else. I mean. Yeah. Be interesting if he did. I, know, with, I don't know if I want to see that or or not. I just don't know. It would just start with it. Just start with childhood trauma. And yeah, then, that's all I suddenly yeah. thought of. Like, um, all I can say is though, and you know, I don't think it gets said. Yet. I don't think it's been said. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but like to me, having gone through all this and watched these shows and the films, Mike Flanagan is becoming into that echelon of master of horror. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, we talk about like movie directors, like you know, like they talk about all oh, like James Wan and all that sort of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I'm very iffy on sort of like the Conjuring or the the um, Insidious universes and all that kind of stuff. But hit and miss. But but Flanagan's hit rate, <laughs> I can't dispute it. Like we've we bagged on some stuff, but like other stuff is fantastic. Um, and I, I do believe at some point, like you know, the guy is going to be. To consider the master of horror, I think like I, I doubt he would be. He would even care on my lowly opinion, and I'm not going to be saying anything that's sort of going to blow anybody's mind. But he is a genuine talent. Mm. He is a steady hand. If you want somebody to deliver a, a just fine horror, and I think he does that incredibly well. But he is also inventive and creative without getting up his own ass mm-hmm. you know like midnight mass is his passion project he could have and he's oh, obviously yeah. been given money to do it because i i if this was on paper in front of somebody i i i'm surprised it got signed off to be honest <laughs> well this when is netflix went... netflix signed all kinds <laughs> yeah of stuff. but yeah fair enough but also you know you know it is something that many other people could dump 
somewhere mm. else and be like oh no like I don't see how this works and it's like he's taken a risk with Midnight Mass but he hasn't because no. he's so good at what he does I agree that it was kind of always going to be gold yeah I agree I think he's, he was always going to be good I, I, I'm very comfortable with Anthony does um and I hope you know he's managed to he's made he's come along at the right time at the golden age of mm, the re, yes. the golden age of television. So I love this age of television and horror. It's amazing. Yeah, we, we're getting some great stuff. Before we wrap up, then, as we said, he's got one more in his up his sleeve at the moment. He's, he's got another one in the process, and he is doing he's flanagonizing um, <laughs> the fall of the House of Usher, and I think they're just calling it House of Usher. Um, now this is an Edgar Allan Poe story. I have read the story. It's 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 good, but rather dense. But I feel that's more of Poe's writing. Like it opens with a paragraph that's one sentence. It's mental. I've never <laughs> seen so many commas. Um, but the thing I also really like uh, the House of Usher, uh, Roger Corman, Vincent Price film from nineteen sixty or sixty one. And so I, I know the story. This idea of sort of like you know this. Um, um, so the story basically is a young gentleman. He's coming to this house. He wants to, who he is courting or wants to court uh, the young sister. Uh, um, but the elder brother um, uh, is basically saying, you can't because we are cursed and we are trapped in this house. And we are, we are fragile. We are as fragile as this house. And during the, the proceedings of this discussion, this debate that goes on, uh, it's this sort of gothic horror. The, the, the sister dies, or I'll say in inverted commas, dies and is, is struck ill. And in the process, at the end of it all, basically, um, when she does die, the house starts to fall apart and all this other stuff. It's the fall of the House of Usher. It's, it's a sort of a gothic horror kind of thing. What do you think he's going to do with it? Just a brief speculation. So it's only eight episodes, I believe. Isn't it is. It? And it's yes. being split, isn't it? I think he's doing some of it and then somebody else is doing the rest in terms of directing. I don't know about Yeah, but writing. I believe he's writing it all, I think. Oh, Fantastic. Because I think sorry, just the reason I think the, I believe the reason he's doing that is because he's done all the writing, but he said he couldn't do all the directing because he's given so much of himself for these other shows. He was like, <laughs> physically, I can't do that. Yeah, I actually can't do but, this. Yeah. Um, I think there will be some family trauma between the brother and sister, obviously. Yes. Um, <laughs> which may go back to some sort of childhood trauma. Thank you, Flanagan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just make us all feel sad. Um, I think that the relationships will be handled incredibly well. I think that's what we can expect. I certainly expect there to be extra characters outside. So there's three main characters. Yes. I expect there to be extra characters that will bring things, you know, sort of extra dimensions in. I don't know where he's going to go with it because before when it was like he was doing Bly Manor mm. I was very much like where is this like how is he going to do Bly how is he going to do turn of the screw and it was not what I expected at all so I literally I think I'm not going to be able to figure out childhood trauma no. that's what I'm going for yeah childhood trauma family <laughs> trauma is going to be part yeah. of it guaranteed <laughs> I mean it's part of the story there's a reason he's chosen Poe yeah, um, but you're right. I don't think I, I don't think we can speculate on this because you, having see, watched these three now, like he could go any way. Like it's clearly going to be the only thing I'd say is 
he clearly likes the supernatural. He has a he has a yeah. leaning towards the supernatural. So there'll be the supernatural that's implied in the in the in the story will probably be more heavily implied if not confirmed. Um, but other than that, like it's it's, it's, like you say, it's hard to tell. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, all I know is I'm excited for it. <laughs> and that's <clears> the <throat> thing, is it? Like one part of me sort of wants him to move away from gothic horror so i mm. think he would be perfect so if you ever read the little stranger by no. Sarah waters so it's a fantastic sort of gothic novel it's um it's set after world war ii and it's about so it touches on the start of the nhs it touches on um uh post-traumatic stress mm. and and ghosts, so you know all of those classic Flanagan. Unfortunately, it got made into a film that wasn't fantastic. Um, you know, it was released in two thousand eighteen, actually, because I was going to go and see that the day that my waters broke. Um, and like, I would love him to do the Little Stranger, but I'm also like, after seeing Midnight Mass, I'm like, I don't want you to do a gothic horror because there's something around monster horror that you mm. can do absolutely amazing. But at the same time please give me more gothic horror. So I think it's exciting and I'm excited to see what he does with it. But I also have no fucking clue what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I, you, and you're completely right. Again, this idea of like, I almost want like, Midnight Mass is almost like the anomaly. Like it's good mm. and I love it. But I almost want sort of like, I want him to complete his house trilogy. You know? Yes, yes. <clears throat> We're going to have uh, Hill House, Bly Manor, House of Usher. That's his house yeah. trilogy. And then follow up Midnight Mass with another sort of like say with some other monster project. I think like or a Ouija and like not yes. obviously not within that franchise, but fucking hell, he handled that so well. Something like that. Yeah, I think I think you know, at the moment, if if Usher goes well, like the guy can write write his own check. I think you know, <laughs> I, I, I assume he's contracted with Netflix for some time, but like yeah. you know. He's, he could rock up and go, right, I want to do a story about trolls living <laughs> under under a park bench. And they'd be like, do I'm it. So be in. Here's, I know. Yeah. I'd be like, fucking in. Here's a here's a hundred thousand, here's a hundred million dollars. Yeah. Don't make it. Um, so yeah, no, I, I you're right. I, I don't know what we're gonna expect we can expect <laughs> from him. I think you know the, maybe when it comes out, we need to do a book reading. Yes. Tony, do it with Tony. Yeah, please do that with Tony or even Jack. That maybe just all four of us could we do a yeah. book and then watching it. Well, before we do. Us, do yeah, amazing. we could do um, story time. You could do story time. We yes. all read. Um, we'll do. We'll, we'll, if this is due out in October, so the fourth quarter, we shall do story time as the fall of the House of Usher, and then we shall do a follow up for either now that's what I call or at the end of year episode will be a talk about yes. the show. Um, so Jack and Tony, I've signed you up for that. Yeah. I hope you're ready. <laughs> there you go. I've got it here. I've got my full, I've got the complete Edgar Allan Oh, Poe. wow. So, oh, gosh, you love um, gothic horror. I do. It's, it's been, I haven't read for a while, but I do love a bit of gothic horror. Um, but yes, we should do that. I think that's, a, I think, you know, um, I should put it on the schedule for later in the year. That sounds fantastic. Um, but anyway. I think I think that you know we've, I think we've covered our bases. We've done our speculation. We've done our shows. We've talked for an awful long time. It's been fantastic. Two hours later. Yeah. Well, people are getting you know some good content. That's what it's all about. No moaning. I'm tired. Yeah. But before we go, then, uh, Ria, where can people find you, and uh, yes, where can people hear come you? Come and find me and have some fun. I am Ria Carrigan on social media. 
I am part of the best podcast family, Comics in Motion. So I'll be popping up here, there, everywhere. Uh, Indie Comics Spotlight with Tony Farina. Um, I've just been on Seasons Greetings to do Angel Wrap Up with my wonderful, wonderful brother Jack and Tony. And I'm a pop griller with those two wonderful mm. people. So I should probably branch out with other people, but I really I love working with them so much. And they're both so clever and they both have such interesting things to say that I could just have podcasts talking with them all the time. So come and find us all. Come and find all of Comics in Motion. We're great. Yes. Come find, there's a link down below for Comics in Motion, the whole feed. They're all on there. It's uh it is amazing. And you're right, Jack and uh, and Tony, like wonderful to work with but both of them been on this show multiple times yeah loads of times you've uh, done some great books with jack yeah um they've been really good episodes go listen to those and tony often throws me stuff as well like the, the start of the year we did the, uh, the machine yeah. stops he yeah. was just like you should read this and i was like this is amazing um anyway but for me where you can find me uh <laughs> you can find me i say come find us on social media at 20th century geek all on the sort of different different platforms instagram twitter facebook the works um, <clears throat> but if you like what we're doing, ladies and gentlemen, you know, go onto your podcast catcher, leave a review, tell us why you love us because you do love us. You know, you do. Five stars, please. Uh, help <laughs> get us up the ratings, gets people seeing us on there. But if you really like what we're doing and you want more of this content of me talking, but with other people, uh, my brother from another mother, Julian Darius, on the twin, uh, our sister podcast, Stories at Time and Space, uh, go check out our Patreon. Uh, the link's down below uh, 20th Century Geek Media. Uh, we do, uh, we're do. we doing Trekking Through the Twilight Zone at the moment, an episode a week, and we've done the full first season now, and it's badass. I'm actually really enjoying it. <laughs> but yeah, go check that out, all kinds of stuff on there. But more than that, Rhea, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been really cool talking about this. Thank you for having me. Thank you for indulging me. I've loved it so much. No, thank you for the conversation. I've really enjoyed it too. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed it, and uh, we shall see you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.